Hey, what's up, folks? Hey, I want to take a look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. But before I read those verses, I want to back up to the first chapter of 1 John and look at the last three verses there, which will provide the context of what it is that I need to discuss with you. So let me go ahead and start at 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to start with verse 8. It says here, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A wonderful thing. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. All right, now, 1 John chapter 2, starting with verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. All right? So, started with 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, and read up to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. All right? So, John the Apostle, who is in, most like an old man by now, he's an elder, and he's the one that walked and talked and learned at the feet of Jesus. He's regarded as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how he refers to himself, like in the third person, the disciple whom Jesus loved. All right? So, the part that I primarily need to focus on in this uh, podcast segment is the is first John chapter two, verse two. All right. And, it, and this is what he says. He says he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. All right. And also you can apparel you can reference also a John gospel same writer but the gospel of john chapter 1 verse 29 john the baptist when he sees christ he introduces him as the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world of course john 3:16 for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal or everlasting life so these passages written by the same uh, man, same author, are very similar to each other. Now, what I want to try to unpack is, in particular, the second verse in the second chapter of, of, of 1 John. So he says, he is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation, I know is a fancy word. It's not a word that we use in our everyday language, everyday uh, nomenclature, but it means satisfaction. And when it, so it's talking about Jesus Christ being the satisfaction for our sins. And he's a satisfaction in the sense that he met the demand of the father's wrath against sin. So you have to understand sin, 
requires death. Uh, you may want to write this passage down. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So sin has a payday. Sin has wages. And those wages are death wages. And since we as sinners, as unholy sinners, can't die ourselves and be a propitiation to God for our sins ourselves, God had to send the Son, a sinless human being and a divine being at the same time to come and die for those who couldn't die and satisfy God's wrath themselves. That means you and I. We couldn't do that. So Jesus had to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. He satisfied God's holy wrath against sin. So when he died, God was satisfied and Jesus could say on the cross, it is finished or it's paid in full. That means sin's debt was paid in full by his sacrifice. All right. So that's what propitiation means. And when it says he not died for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world, this is where I really want to kind of dig in, dig my heels in, and I want to provide a necessary caveat here. So most of the evangelical world, most of the evangelical community, what they say is that when he, he said he died for the sins of the whole world, that means he died and paid the sin debt of everybody that will ever live. Is that true? Is that what Jesus Christ did? No. I'm going to explain to you why. See, in order for a person's sin to be forgiven, they have to meet the requirements of that forgiveness. And what I mean by requirements is that they have to confess their sin, they have to repent of their sin and believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ's work on the cross. And they have to follow God for the rest of their lives. So, in other words, you can't say, well, I don't believe in what Christ did or I'm going to reject what he did, but I want my sins to be forgiven anyway. You can't have it that way. You can't have it both ways. You got to have it God's way or no way at all. So it would be unbiblical and unreasonable to say that a person's sins has been forgiven because by most people's understanding of 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, saying that, okay, he died for the sins of the whole world. That means everybody's sins have been forgiven. Not automatically. Not automatically. A condition has to be met. You have to confess your sins. You have to repent of your sins. You have to trust in what Christ did on the cross in order for your sins to be forgiven. There is a requirement. There is something that we must do in order for us to receive the benefit of his atonement. You understand what I'm saying? So it's not an automatic. In other words, because if it's an automatic, then 
what's the point of confessing sin? What's the point of trusting and believing if it's an automatic get out of hell free card? Because that's what people are looking for. They're looking for automatic get out of hell free card. Okay, wonderful. Jesus died for my sins. I can I can I can continue to still live the the ratchet life that I've been living my whole life. But praise God, my sins are forgiven. So you get a um, you get what um, what a lot of people or a lot of theologians have called cheap grace, easy believism, or non non believism for that matter. So we have to be very careful how we interpret verse two and first John chapter two. You understand what I'm saying? So let me see if I can make it a little bit more clear. So so stay with me, bear with me here. So if Someone believes that everybody's sins are forgiven, yet the majority of people whose sins supposedly have been forgiven go to hell. What good was the atonement for them when at the end of their life it didn't do anything for them? They still are lost. They still are going to experience a Christless eternity. In other words, they're going to be separated from God forever. What's the point in an atonement for them that doesn't do anything for them. It didn't save them. It didn't deliver them because they died in an unforgiven state. They died in unbelief. So here, this is what you need to understand. It's very important that you understand this. If a person placed their, generally placed their trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, all their sins are forgiven. All of them are forgiven. Now, What a lot of people believe, and this is tragic and unfortunate, what a lot of people believe is that Jesus Christ died for all sin, except the sin of unbelief. Now, why why would God do that? Why would God make an exception for the sin of unbelief? In other words, why would he cover all sin and then but leave the sin of unbelief out? That doesn't make any sense. Think about it for a second. If Jesus Christ died for all the sin except the sin of unbelief, then he didn't die for all sin. He died for some sin or most sin, but that one for some reason has become a a maverick Adam and for some reason is able to escape the blood of Christ. So if a person dies in unbelief, what that means is it doesn't mean that all their sins were forgiven except the sin of unbelief. It means that none of their sins were forgiven, including the sin of unbelief. If all your sins were truly forgiven, then the sin of unbelief was included in that forgiveness of sin that was performed and executed by the death of Christ. I hope you got that. If not, I tell you what, I'll repeat it. I'll I'll say it again. If You died in unbelief that proves that none of your sins were forgiven. You died in an unforgiven state. You died in sin. If you died in Christ, that proves that all of your sin was forgiven. It's either or. It's not both and. You see what I'm saying? Jesus Christ didn't die for all of your sin and then left the sin of unbelief out. Oops, I forgot. Of course not. 
And that's what people need to understand. So when it says he died for not our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world, it means that Christ died for the sins of everybody. Everybody that believes, folks, that's the qualifier that I must stress. You don't automatically get your sins forgiven because Christ died. Because if that was the case, then you, are, you would be justified without having to ever confess your sin. You would be justified without having to believe. So we can't make it that easy. We can't, we can't cheapen the work of Christ and the grace of God because of, our, because of people's bad theology, because of people's bad interpreting skills on what the Bible is saying versus what they wanted to say and so that's why it's very important who you listen to it's very important who is teaching you the word of god okay let's go back to john chapter 3 verse 16 to, to prove my point this is what jesus said when he's talking to nicodemus he says for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son right here's a qualifier here's a necessary condition this amplifies 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, that whosoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, let's, let's put that in the negative. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever does not believe will perish and will experience everlasting damnation. So that's the flip side of John 3.16. That's the negative of John 3.16. So if the necessary condition is met, then you will get the desired result of that necessary condition. You'll get the benefits of what Christ did. If you trust and believe, trust and believe are the same thing, but also it involves repenting of sin. If you don't believe, you won't have everlasting life. You will reap everlasting judgment, everlasting condemnation or damnation. That's your destination. That's that's going to be your your infamous legacy. So do not and and I and I can't stress this enough, do not teach or preach that Christ died for everybody's sin without telling them what they must do in order to be forgiven of that sin. Yes, he died for the sins of the world, but that doesn't mean that everybody automatically is forgiven. It only applies positively to those who believe. It is an act of the will. Just like it's an act of the will to believe, it is an act of the will not to believe. But if everybody automatically sins are forgiven because Christ died, then there's no need to exercise any will to believe or not to believe. It's a, I mean, you, you automatically get in. You, it, it is a get out of hell free card. If that is all that it takes. So it's wrong to teach that a person's sins are automatically forgiven because Christ died. No, that is not what that means. The necessary conditions have to be met in order for the benefit to in order for the benefit to apply. The person has to confess sin. A person has to believe can't get around that so 
once again, I want to stress this is very important. It's 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 because it it it's the difference between life and death, eternal life and death. To be you know, to be honest with you, so do not say that. Okay, since Christ died, your your sins are forgiven. No. What if a person doesn't believe? You're going to say their sins are forgiven? I mean that you know that Christ paid their sin debt. It would be the same thing as as saying that that um, I owe eighty thousand dollars in credit card debt, and someone gives me the eighty thousand dollars to pay off my credit card debt, but I, I take the I I don't take the money. Is my is my debt cleared? No, it's not. I'm still in debt. I still owe that money. So you can liken that to the sacrifice of Christ. Now, like I said, the payment has been made by Christ. There's no more payment to be made. The provision is there, right there, right now. In other words, the sufficiency is available right now to everybody that's living. Now, it will not be efficient for everybody right now unless you believe so once again the sufficiency is there his sacrifice is sufficient for all men but it is only efficient or effective to those who decide to trust and believe in what he did you follow what i'm saying and that's what john 3:16 stresses that is what first John chapter 2 verse 2 is all about so I know people mean well I know their I believe their hearts are in the right place but we have to teach the word of God correctly in order for people to understand what it is that God is conveying to us he is saying that yes Christ's death is sufficient for all men but once again the caveat is if you don't believe that sacrifice of Christ, that atonement, that work that he did on behalf of mankind won't benefit you. If you die in your sinfulness, you die in an unbelieving state, that proves that none of your sins were paid for by Christ. Period. That's what that means. All right. So that's all I wanted to say in regards to the to this matter. First John chapter two, verse two. I hope I've made it clear and I will talk to you sooner than later. Peace.